0: Here in, in Southern California, being in this part of Southern California, um, this actually doesn't happen very much, is it, at least not as much as it probably should. There was one time that I remember, this was back in 2007, and I was on top of a houseboat in the Lake Tahoe area, and uh, that's not Lake Tahoe, but I was, I was just yelling at high school students to be quiet and go to sleep. And then they finally quieted down, and and I looked up. The most memorable time for me, at least the one that comes to mind, is is all the way back in 1997. And I was with a few friends, and we were up at a church camp, waiting at night for the arrival of the Hale-Bopp Comet. Maybe some of you can remember this, and we laid down in a parking lot, just flat on our backs, looking up at the night sky, and it was so dark, and the depth of that star field so rich and lucid that it just felt like it was going to swallow us whole. Have you ever ever experienced that? It's an amazing thing. Of course, the, the stars, they're always there during the day, behind the clouds, even when they're they're shaded from view from our our polluted uh, surface glow reflecting off that umbrella of our atmosphere. They're always there. They're always making their their endless declaration to the glory of God. But on rare occasions, we get to see them protruding like like diamonds against a, a blanket of black velvet, and they beg us to stop. And stare in absolute wonder. You know, people are often referred to as stars, aren't they? <laughs> and in some way, they, they they stand out from the rest of us normal people. Uh, many of them are, are quite beautiful, or they have impressive physiques, or just incredible personalities. In some cases, they actually sparkle. I'm not a big flint fan of glitter myself, but... Uh, you know, when you get close to these people, though, the, the the thing that was so impressive is often not that impressive, and you start to realize that they're kind of just like you and me. In fact, you start to realize, some, in some cases, there's <laughs> this is really, really the opposite of of beautiful here, but we call them stars. And you know, the Bible says that there are actually people who are supposed to be truly impressive they're supposed to be truly brilliant they're supposed to shine in fact the closer you get and the more time you spend with them they they give off this light in fact that light should become all the more brighter and dazzling and beautiful because it's the light of jesus christ paul speaking to members of the church in philippi said that they should be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. If you go to the, the, um, the Holman uh, Christian Standard Bible, it says, among whom you shine like stars in the world. And that probably harkens back at least all the way back to what the prophet Daniel spoke of in 12.3. He wrote, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And some of us remember what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill? cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There is a stark contrast that is to exist between the people of God and the dark backdrop of the rest of society, is there not? In effect, they're to stand out like stars in the black night or or a lamp that floods its gleaming light into every corner of the room. Last week, we we kind of sang a line from an old children's song, deep, deep, and wide, deep, and we went, oh my gosh, that song... Well, this morning, we're reminded of another children's song, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to let it shine. And as I grew up, that was always accompanied by a teacher explaining how we're to supposedly shine the light of Jesus out there to the rest of the world. And I took that kind of as a personal challenge. And my attitude was, well, I'm going to show this teacher that I can shine brighter than any of these other hooligans here in this classroom. I was a great kid. Yeah. But what Paul says to the Philippians here, when he says they're to shine like lights or shine like stars, he's not talking about individuals. No, he's talking about the church as a whole. Together, the church is to do that. What's more, the shining that they do, any glow that comes from the church, that is actually the result of their lives together. And to see that, we've got to pull back a little bit and see the larger context of Philippians here. We can pull back all the way to chapter 1, verse 27, and we discover that Paul is calling a group of Christians to live their lives in a way that is worthy of what's been done for them. He writes this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now we know, and this is very important, we know that no one earns their salvation. We know that it's the free gift of God accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Not our life or death, or certainly not our resurrection, but the lives that are lived by those who have been hoisted out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Christ, those should reflect a difference that Christ has made. And they should also display certain evidences of the awe and wonder and and gratitude and, and, and dumbfoundedness, if that's even a word, that there is for this awesome thing That Christ has accomplished. When you give someone a a gift that is truly spectacular, maybe it's unexpected and it's it's just awesome, the response that you get from the one who's receiving the gift, well, that tells you something of just how amazing the gift is. But if that response isn't there, Well, it tells you that either the gift wasn't really all that great to begin with, or it tells you that they really just don't get it, and they really just don't understand what it is that they've actually been given. And so when someone who claims to be a Christian fails to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel, is it possible that the gospel is not all that it's cracked up to be? No, it's definitely not that. No, it tells us that they're they're failing to recognize, to realize just how powerful and awesome and wonderful and undeserved the gospel really is. The the nature of the gospel, the the single greatest, most undeserved gift that's ever been given in the history of humanity, it demands that its recipients receive it in such a way that they're going to live lives worthy of. Of it. The big question is, what does that look like? Well, it looks like stars shining brilliantly in the sky. Oh, okay, okay. What does that look like? What makes Christians look like that? Well, what does Paul tell us right here in Philippians 127? He says it looks like Christians standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then he goes on to continue that thought in chapter 2. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, all this good stuff that you get from knowing and and embracing the gospel, any participation in the Spirit, well, of course there's participation in the Spirit because the Spirit of Christ of The Holy Spirit now lives inside of you if you have faith in him. If there's any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By what? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The picture's clear, isn't it? Living a life worthy of the gospel, shining like the stars, it looks like the people of God living together in unity they're, they're they're drawing near to one another. they're committed to knowing one another, understanding one another, going the same direction as one another, having the same love, the same purpose and at the same time, They're they're turning their backs on something, aren't they? They're turning their backs on that old way of doing things, and they're making conscious decisions to leave behind the ways that were part of that life outside the walls of the kingdom of God. We don't live like that anymore, and Paul points that out in verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He says, let each of you look not to not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of, of others. So this is the opposite of the, of the get out there and get mine mentality. The, the selfish, others burning, competing, shaming, stepping over, stomping on mentality that's out there. It's the opposite of that. It's, it's the opposite of love me or celebrate me me or else. It's the opposite of that. It's, it's a humble recognizing that we're, we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. It's the, I want to show you the same kind of love with which Christ loved me. It's the, I'll, I'll gladly set aside my wants and, and my desires so that you and, and we all as the people of God might grow up together in Christ and bring spectacular glory to his great name. You know, in word, Christians saved by Jesus, they should look like Jesus as they give of themselves to each other. In fact, that's exactly where Paul goes next, and he gives us this picture He says, have this in mind among yourselves, verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What did Jesus do? For the sake of the church, for the sake of the glory of God, he made himself nothing for their sake. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant, humble, obedient. For their sake, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you know what that is? That's submission. That's sacrifice. That's the ultimate example, our ultimate example of what it looks like to give of ourselves For others, this is how to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is how a church collectively shines like the stars against the backdrop of a world still in darkness. They submit themselves. And what does that result in? In Christ's instance, He's highly exalted, isn't He? It results in in the beauty and dazzling splendor of Jesus shining so brightly that, that every knee finds its way to the floor. And ultimately it results in God getting glory. And didn't we point out last week that that's why the church is here, why it was made in the first place? God powerfully and miraculously welds the most unlikely people together through the bond of Jesus Christ. And in turn, in in their unity, he shows off to everyone the absolutely astonishing glory of God. Paul writes in Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Be Jesus, (laughs) Jesus. to each other, church. And then you will live worthy of the gospel. Have the same mind as him, the same mind that gladly lays down its life and gives of itself in the most profound ways for the sake of the ones God loves. That's where Paul immediately takes us after talking about Jesus. He says, this is this is how you shine like stars. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they, they see. They need to see the light. They need to see the stars shining brightly so that they will give glory to God the Father who is in heaven. You know, it, it's, it's supposed to be different in here. Oh, it is supposed to be so different in here. This can't be an event or a show that we turn out for once a week. No, this is a community of people who have pledged themselves to God and to each other that they together might show off his marvelous light, as Peter talked about. This can't be a place uh, where it's just a just a small group of a few close friends that are so easy for us to get along with. No, no, no. This needs to have breadth, like we talked about last week. It needs to be wide. It has to be made up of all kinds of different people, some who are older, some who are younger, some who are personalities that we don't easily jive with. <laughs> some who, people who have a lot more Uh, going for them, or seemingly in life, and some who have a lot less. And when we submit ourselves for their sake, we shine brightly the love of Christ. You know, this can't be a place where we just stop by every once in a while on our rotation of our favorite churches. No, the light shines in the world as they see us consistently and faithfully and devotedly giving of ourselves through thick and thin. Good times and bad, and over and over and over again, showing up to invest in the same community. It's got to have depth to it, right? It can't be a place where we stand off to the side and we just keep people at a distance and fly under the radar or just be a fly on the wall. No, it needs to be a place where we pour ourselves out and pour ourselves into others. They need to know us. We need to grow from each other, and we need to be able to speak in and and even have them confront us when need be, when we're veering off course. That's when the church shines bright. We said last week, that requires commitment, and that's what we're talking about this Sunday and next Sunday, the covenant that we have together. This kind of love and encouragement, it can't happen without real commitment, something without the real definition to it. What does that look like? Here at Bethany, it looks like crossing the line and stepping beyond just attending church into making it known to everyone that you consider yourself to be a fellow member here of the church as you covenant Together and commit to certain things. And it's important to know that the, the covenant that we have written, that's on page 16 of your membership books, and the one that actually we printed out a one page sheet for you of just the covenant, it's in the back. Dan Chikami's holding one right now in the back. This is for those of you who are already members. And you're not going to fill out a membership application here. you're already here. But the covenant is there for you to grab, to look over, to prayerfully consider and lord willing for you to sign it it's important to know that that covenant it's not just some arbitrary list that you know kind of like a christmas wish list the leaders here are like oh wouldn't it be great if our people were did this and they did that no no no, no. these are key elements of the christian life that are rooted directly in scripture this is this is not our church This is Christ's church, and it makes sense then that the commitments that we make to each other are the ones that he calls us to make. It's also important for us to note that this covenant is not an exhaustive list. Someone might look at it and they go, why isn't this in there? Why isn't that in there? Well, this is more of a a summary. It's reflective of the obedience to which God calls his people. You want the details? Well, stick around and we'll we'll talk about them. But let's look at the first five this morning. Page 16. As members of Bethany Bible Fellowship, we covenant, first of all, to submit to the authority of the 66 books of the Bible as our sole rule of faith and practice. We believe that the 66 books that have been written down in the Old and New Testament are the verbally inspired Word of God. It just doesn't contain ideas about God. We hold that the very words of the original manuscripts are the words of God intended to be given through human authors led to write them down supernaturally. And because they come from God, well, they tell us the truth about him. They tell us the truth about ourselves. They tell us the truth about our world, and most importantly, salvation. And then we believe that they can be relied upon, that they can be trusted, and that they must be obeyed. We look at 2 Timothy 3.16, and we say, yes, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That means all of it. That means all of it is beneficial, and all of it, all of it helps correct us and shape us and transform us and equip us to be the people that God desires us to be. And not only that, but it's all that we need. There aren't outside books, outside documents. Oh yeah, there's some things that are maybe helpful out there, but this is is all we need, and it is sufficient in and of itself. It's his word, God's word, that leads us to Jesus. Jesus. It's his word that instructs us to live as his people. It's his word that prepares us to shine that light of Christ. And so we as members of Bethany, first and foremost, agree together to sit under the authority and submit to God's word. Our desire is to believe it, to trust it, and yes, to obey it, especially when that's hard to do. Secondly, we covenant together to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ through regular Bible reading, through prayer, fellowship, and the practice of spiritual disciplines. You know, it's not not enough just to say that we submit to this. I'll sign, I'll sign the document, I submit to it. It's not enough to just say that. We need to know it. We need to practice it. And we need to covenant together to be a people who search the scriptures, just like those uh, Christians in Thessalonica in Acts 17. It says, they've received the word with all eagerness. Do you desire to hear God's word with eagerness? It says, they were examining the scriptures daily to see if the things that they were hearing, these things, were so. Are you just listening to some guy up here talking, you you take it at face value, or are you searching? Do you want to know, is this the real stuff, or am I being led astray? If we're going to be God's people, we we need to know this book. We're not just a club. We're not just here to sign our signature to a piece of paper. No, we are God's called out community to live and breathe and thrive by cultivating a relationship with him and his people. And so as the Bible commands us, we we devote ourselves to this. We devote ourselves to prayer. We devote ourselves to fellowshipping together. That means meaningful conversations with one another. It means intentionally encouraging each other like we talked about last week. It means actively seeking to build up other believers. And we practice spiritual discipline. So we don't just run aimlessly here like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9.26. No, we, we train ourselves. We work together to refine ourselves so that we don't end up, you know, overweight and malnourished and out of shape. Instead, we want to be well-equipped. We want to have hearts and minds that are well-adapted and closely resembling the heart and mind of Christ that together as the physical representation of Jesus here as his spirit lives within us, that we might live in a way that he would desire us to live are you committed to pursuing christ are you committed to pursuing christ likeness together with his church third to follow the command and example of jesus by participating in the ordinances prescribed to his church there are a couple things that jesus commanded his followers to continue doing after he ascended into heaven and one is to be baptized after coming to faith in Christ, Matthew 28 tells us that. Now, being baptized is actually a very important step that is crucial and, and, and kind of a, a gatekeeping uh, door uh, through for coming into membership into this church. And there's a reason for that. Jesus told his disciples that they would be witnesses when the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts 1.8. And after people have placed their trust in Jesus... We know that the Spirit makes his home within each and every one of their hearts. Baptism, then, is the very first way that they are to bear witness to the reality of what Christ has done within them. And so when anyone wants to become a member of this church, it's very, very important that we know that the members of this church bear witness and say, yes, God has done a work in me because participation, if you look at the qualifications right before the covenant on page 16, it will tell you, you've got to be a genuine believer. And so genuine believers, what do they do? They testify and they bear witness and so we call each other if you haven't been baptized already to be baptized as a living testimony and witness through the words that you're speaking they don't have to be many and through the the picture that you're giving everyone as you go down into that water you're showing them what Christ has done for you second ordinance is communion Jesus told his disciples do this in remembrance of me we don't Take communion to mean that it's it's helping us somehow attain the forgiveness of our sins. We don't, we don't buy into that. Nor do we do it as a way to sort of renew our salvation subscription. <laughs> Had a draining month, uh, so I got to come and I got to take communion again. Ah, oh, now I feel better. No, 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 it's not that. But we regularly gather together to remember and celebrate the person and work of Jesus Christ together as we take the bread resembling his body and the juice representing the blood that makes payment for our sins and makes us right with God. And you know, growing up, I think I had a, a wrong picture of communion. It was kind of like this, this mystical thing that I participated in as an, as an individual. But it's not that. Communion is a corporate activity communion, it, it's, it's so important that members of Christ's church gather together to regularly take communion. Because as they do that, as you are present here to participate in that, you're telling everyone here that your hope is still built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. As you do that, you're, you're actively uh, participating in encouraging and building up the rest of the body of believers because you're testifying to them as you take this they look over and they might have some type of impression of you man let me tell you you can look over at your neighbor and you probably have a lot of thoughts about who this person is next to you in some cases you're like wow they're they got it together in other cases you're like i'm <laughs> not sure you're getting in When we take communion together, we're saying, yes, I need this. And you look to the side and you say, you need it? Yes, I need it too. Because Jesus is the only, he's still the only way. You know, there's a lot of things out there that they're selling, that they're peddling on us. Essential oils, Subway sandwiches. What what, what do we need to add to our lives to fix our lives? No, 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 it's this. It's Jesus. It's still just Jesus. I still believe. When, you, when you're here, you do that. But on the other hand, if, if you frequently skip out and if you treat it lightly and you make a, a point of habitually finding better things to do than to be with God's people to share in the Lord's Supper, you're communicating something there too. It's, it might be subtle, but it's there. You're communicating to everyone that there's other priorities. Maybe there's other pursuits that are are more life-giving and more soul-satisfying than Christ, his word, and his church. Do you see how your participation matters? Oh, it matters. If you're in Christ, you know full well that there is nowhere else to go. There is no place where joy is found other than in Jesus that's why it's so important that we're here to participate. That's number three. Number four, we covenant to regularly participate in the life of Bethany Bible Fellowship by attending those weekly services, engaging in gospel centered community, serving those within and outside this church. This is countercultural. This is not Southern California culture. This is not uh, the consumer mentality where I go and I get something out of it and then I move on and I go to this restaurant and I get filled up there too. No, 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 that's not what this is. This is membership. This is participation. As you remember, may remember in Acts 2.42 from several months ago, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, and they were praising God together, having favor with all the people. When we assemble, we're not gathering as an audience. You play a vitally important role. I play a vitally important role as I sit there, and I sing, and I bear witness through my presence, through the things that I do, through the words, the, 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 the sound that comes out of my mouth, even though it may not be particularly attractive to anyone, but I bear witness, you bear witness to the rest of God's people. We come to participate. We come not merely to be fed or fueled up. We come in obedience to Christ to build his church. We're here to pour into the lives of others, to speak truth into each other's lives, to rejoice when someone is rejoicing and mourn and pray with those who are in mourning. We're here to proclaim the the good news of the gospel to those who are failures. They're feeling like failures. Have you ever shown up to church feeling like you really don't belong here? Because you know what happened this past week. And we're here to remind others who think they're standing strong, stay on guard. Stay on guard. And as we do that, we prepare each other to go out and take this message public. Yeah, we got coffee and donuts. Our coffee has actually improved just recently. But the last thing that we're worried about is whether or not it's our particular brew. That's the last thing we're worried about. And we're not worried about the particular style of of worship music and whether or not the pastor's manner of preaching is is really to our our liking. It's probably not. We want to know that God's word is preached, that that people are led to worship with sincere hearts and with words that that elevate and make much of, not us, make much of our Savior. And when people walk into the courtyard, we're, we're... we're not asking who's going to say hi to me who's going to greet me what if no one does no 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 we're, we're we're asking the lord how do you want to use me to bless your people today and and, and how are you to prepare my heart to receive your word and be impacted by it and be transformed closer into the image of Jesus Christ. And most importantly, our time together, our fellowship together, our worship as God's people. Lord, may that be worthy of the gospel, that it might glorify your great name. We're here to participate and serve. Finally, one final thing. For this morning, we covenant to steward the resources God has given us, including time, talents, spiritual gifts, and finances. And this includes regular financial giving, service and participation in the community, in community that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary. As people who have been saved by the grace of God and acknowledge that every good gift that we have comes from God, we recognize we're not owners. We're we're stewards. We're stewards. And the money that we have at our disposal, it's God's money. Boy, that was an important lesson, a hard lesson for me to learn. Because when I got that birthday card, with that fifty dollar bill in it, oh that was mine. It was mine. But the closer we get to the Lord and the more we read his word, we realize that, that our time is God's time. The time you have left. How much time how long is that? I don't know. That's God's time. The resources that, that I have, they're very limited, as are probably yours. They're, they're God's. The talents that I have, as, as humble as they may be, they're God's talents. They're for him, for his purposes. Whatever it is that we have at our disposal, we've been entrusted with these things by God to use for his purposes. Because we've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. <sighs> and we're here to seek first his kingdom. Not only that, because, but because his spirit is developing in our hearts a love for each other that reflects the love of Christ, the love that Christ has shown us, will we give joyfully and faithfully because we, we don't have to, I, you get to, I get asked frequently, do you have to preach this Sunday? <laughs> yeah, but I get to. Or do you have to. Do you have to give this Sunday? Is that, is that expected, you're, you're going to give? Yeah, uh, but you know what I get to? I get to participate in Christ's community because Christ's community has God has used to transform me and is currently shaping me and molding me and protecting me as i go down that narrow path toward the celestial city that's just just over the horizon and we're going together i got to throw off all those weights i don't need them and if i can use any of this stuff that i've been blessed with to help this crew that we're, we're, is going with me, I'm going to do that. You know, we look at old churches like the church, churches in Macedonia. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He writes, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. These Christians were destitute. They were impoverished, and yet they gave. And then they gave, and they gave, and they gave out of love for their other believers. Just so often, we're tempted to look at our bank accounts and our, our very, very thin wallets, and we have concern written on our foreheads. Especially in times like these, where the prices are just skyrocketing. The price to heat your home, up 41.5%. <laughs> Turn your heaters down. Eggs? A staggering fifty-nine point nine percent. So long, breakfast burritos. They're gone. The world looks at these things and they say, "We need to. We need to hold back. We need to. We need to conserve all that we've got." But as Christians, we're called the first ask, "What does God call me to do with what He has entrusted me? How am I to steward this?" And then, how might I give? more. This is how we trust him. It is hard, isn't it? This is how we trust him. And this is how we seek first, not our kingdom that we're building here, we seek first his kingdom. And we trust him. And then he promises that everything that we need, you got it. I had a conversation with someone recently who was telling me that they had some debt built up. And it was going to take them years to pay off this debt, they said. I, they were reasoning to themselves. I, I, I can't, I can't give to God's church, even though I'd, I'd like to, because I've got, I've got to pay off this debt. And someone close to that person said, "No, no, no. I don't think so. You trust God with your money now. You start giving out of obedience now. And watch what happens." And I heard the testimony of this person, and they shared with me. That debt that was going to take years, they paid off in a couple months. And what an incredible thing was to have this person say to me, I don't know how it happened. How could that happen? But it happened. Friends, some of you know what it's like to live on fixed income. Being married for the past nearly 20 years, Melissa and I have, have, have felt that crunch and and know what it's like to give sacrificially to our church. But you know what? God's good. He tells us in Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. There aren't too many places in the Bible where God says, put me to the test if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So many churches, they shy away about talking about this dreaded thing called money. And maybe that's because it's just, it's just not looked well upon in our world. Maybe it's because all, all the prosperity give me money, 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 and more money preachers out there that have just given churches a bad name, pastors a bad name, and trying to It's hard to encourage people to give financially, but the reality is we we have to address this and we have to talk about it because this is something that God demands from his people. It's something that he says he will, in fact, reward them for. And it's something that we here at Bethany joyfully, freely, and gladly do for the sake of God's glory and the good of his people. You know, what you do with your money and what I do with my money, that says something about the condition of my heart and the condition of your heart. Jesus spoke about it more than anything else. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, where is your hope? Where is my hope? Where is our faith? Are we here to make eternal investments or ones that are just going to rust and fade and burn? No way. (laughs) We at Bethany are committed to voluntarily stewarding whatever resources God has given us, entrusted to us, because we're part of this community. It's building us up, and we're here to build each other up. We're running a race, aren't we? We're running a race, and we're running together, and we want each and every one of us to cross that finish line well. And the world outside looks in and goes, what on earth is happening in there? Why aren't they building doomsday bunkers? Why aren't they padding their bank accounts, doing everything they can to live their best lives now? Why aren't they saying, what was me? Why aren't they running out there and grabbing up all the toilet paper they can? Why aren't they stressing out about getting sick? And why aren't they totally angry and totally depressed and totally freaking out about what is going on in the world? Are they clueless? Why are they they giving up their weekends? makes no sense. Why are they forgiving each other? Why are they standing by one another? Why are they getting up early and praying for one another? How come they're turning off their screens? Why are they putting down those phones? Why aren't they binging on all the shows that we're binging on? Why are they staying in that marriage? And why haven't they given up on those ungrateful, wayward kids? Why isn't she bitter about that other woman who got pregnant without even trying? Even though try and try as she made, she still has an empty cradle. Why, why is that guy not bitter at that other guy who got the promotion when, when he has been up for it over and over and over again and nothing? Why are they giving away their hard-earned cash and instead of taking that extra vacation or buying that nicer vehicle? And what's the deal with all that singing? And What's the deal with all that praying? And What's the deal with all that sitting and listening to those sermons from that ancient, outdated book? And why do they have so much hope in a world that just seems so hopeless? You know what all these questions point to? The light shining brilliantly against a dark sky. That's what we, the church, are supposed to do. Shine as lights in the world. And that is what we're called to do here at Bethany. As we covenant together, as members of this local representation of Christ church, this little outpost that we have here, we shine like the stars in the night sky, giving glory to our great God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we humbly come before you as people who have been saved by grace, rescued from the dominion of darkness, taken from death, brought back to life, And now bask in your marvelous light, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for drawing us and welding us together with each other. May more come. Bring more, Lord Jesus, that we might shine brightly together, the light of Jesus, to a world still in darkness. Lord, may we not be afraid, as so many in our culture are, of committing ourselves, just crossing the line and saying, you know what? I am committed. I am here. That's what I want to be about. Lord, this is not about us. This is about your glory and the good of your people. And that's why we're here. And so, Lord, use us powerfully together that we might bring great glory to your name. And through us, Lord, you might bring great light into the world. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.